I'm going live. All right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> g'day, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm Lawson from Bailing Scallion Barbecue, and today I've got a, a, a special guest. I've got uh, Rodney Morris from RJM Hunting Australia. So I'm um, very excited to get Rodney on. Uh, I, I've been watching Rodney's stuff for a little while on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, if you've never seen Rodney, I reckon Rodney's a bit of a, a, a you know a legend in the thermal gear. He's um, unreal, knows his knowledge, um, and yeah, if you watch some of his videos, it's um, it's no bullshit. You know, he knows what's going on. He knows how to talk. He knows how his thermal gear. So uh, I'd like to to welcome Rodney um, to the podcast. How are you, mate? Good day, Lawson. Good mate. How are you? Good mate. Good. Uh, thanks for coming on. I uh, really appreciate it and. Um, yeah, I'm really glad we can get this conversation going. I've, it's been a little while coming, so it's good to it see you. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's all good. Um, so start off where you're from. If you, if you want to give us the yeah, no, that's fine, general area is fine. No, mate, mate I, live in, I live in southwest Sydney um, on the outskirts. So we're on a, a peri-urban sort of area. We're on, lucky enough to be on 25 acres. So Beautiful. we don't have to worry too much about neighbours, but um, 10 minutes to town, so very fortunate. You've got a, a very nice backdrop. It's the best backdrop I've had so far. <laughs> Mate, I've, I've been looking for a place to set up all morning. So, yeah. yeah. i got the old plywood behind me, so don't stress. Yeah, mate. Well, it's, it's always nicer to be outside rather than inside the house. Yeah, well, um, I don't know about you guys um, in New South Wales, but... I'm in Brisbane and we've, I think this is the third or fourth week straight of rain and it's, um, yeah. it's doing my head in. So, no, it's pretty frustrating. We've, we've pretty much been in the same boat. You know, I'm sure it's been all over the news, all the floods we've had over the last sort of six, eight months. Um, yeah. And yeah, I've just had five weeks off with the fire brigade and we don't get to choose when we have our annual leave. So, um, oh, it's yeah. just predetermined. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, the wet weather has prohibited me from getting away, and I haven't been able to do really any shooting at all in the last five weeks. You know, a couple of bits and pieces, but all the the properties are just way too wet to be able to get on you. They're going to rip the property up or get bogged, and it's just not worth the hassle. No, fair enough. All right, well, um, we'll start off with the first question. Um, how'd you get into hunting, mate? How did you how'd you start all this this adventure that slowly led down to? RJM hunting. How did how did you get into it? Um, well, originally, like like most yeah, most Aussie guys, we've got a mate that's that's into it. Um, as a young bloke, I had a, a mate that was a, a mad shooter, and occasionally I would go out with him. It was lots of fun um, using his gear. I didn't have anything at my disposal, and I didn't really have. I I grew up in the the heart of Sydney, so I didn't really have anywhere to shoot, and. It was, it was just a fun boys thing to get away. Uh, it wasn't until, geez, I was probably uh, early 30s that I uh, moved out this way on the outskirts and saw what it was like living on the land. And, yeah, we started to have a few pet losses, livestock losses, um, some pet goats and lambs and uh, the chooks and stuff like that due to foxes. So... Pretty much that's what led me to oh, have a, a mild hatred for the, <laughs> the red coats. And, um, yeah, I ended up getting my dad's 22 back. That's sort of where I started. Uh, I asked that off to a, uh, the mate that used to take me out in the amnesty. Dad didn't want to keep it. And 
thought that would be the right thing to do rather than, you know, hand it in. So he registered it and eventually I ended up getting it back. So I've still got it now. It's a, a beautiful old little Winchester. And that's what I shot my first fox with. So probably took me about eight months of walking around, having no knowledge and, and trying to stalk in on a fox and probably not knowing what I was going to do when I got it in the crosshairs anyway. But, uh, you know, um, it was very rewarding to, to finally get one down. And that's sort of where it began, I suppose. I took a pretty keen interest in it after that. Um, I'd seen firsthand that the damage that foxes can do. And, you know, I had no knowledge of, you know, the other feral species in Australia and, you know, the impact they had on the environment. But um, I then put out the feelers and, you know, just got some local access and headed up there and evolved, I suppose. So started off like everyone else. You'd walk around every day, you know, with a fox whistle and shoot what you could. And then of an evening, we started using, you know, torches and spotlights and all that sort of stuff. And then slowly moved into infrared as technology advanced and we became better at it. And I started doing it more often and then evolved into thermal. So, and now it's become, uh, according to my wife, a bit of an obsession rather than just a passion. And yeah, I'm probably at three, four, five nights a week. So is your hunting grounds a long drive or like, I, I, I'm, I'll admit I've only been to Sydney twice, three times, so I don't know Sydney at all. Are you driving hours to your blocks or are they just around your 25 on, years on, on some properties. Um, like obviously, you know, I, I love pig shooting. It's probably my favourite thing to do and there's none of that locally. So that's a minimum five-hour drive to sort of get out on the pigs. But um, locally, we're very fortunate. It's it's very peri-urban around here. We don't have many big properties. I think the biggest access I have locally, when I say locally, within 30 minutes of, of home, is probably about a 1,000 acres. But I do a lot of work on, you know, two-acre properties, five-acre properties, 50-acre properties, stuff like that. And, you know, fortunately, uh, a lot of those are pretty close. So, you know, I've probably got half a dozen properties at my disposal within you know, 15 minute drive, which is great. So you, you've mentioned um, you've gone into, you know, you start off with spotlights with the 22 and Fox Whistle. How long before you started getting into the, the night vision and thermal and that kind of department? Well, to be honest with you, I saw it a lot on, um, on social media and on YouTube, mainly in the UK with the night vision. Um, back then they were pretty much homemade units. Uh, they were doing a pretty good job. Night Vision UK was the, the Facebook page that I sort of got hold of, you know, in the early days. And I saw some gear at a local shot show in Sydney and thought, well, you know, that might be worth a try. So we proceeded to buy a couple of the, I think they were called a, a night sight back then, and pretty much a little screen and a little camera, screen you mount on top of your scope and a camera you sort of stick on the end of your day scope and wire it up. And, and it was great. It was um, very cumbersome, um, and obviously we didn't have any handheld IR devices, so we'd sort of walk around with a torch and a set of shooting sticks and you know, this big bulky IR on top, and it was, it was amazing. Um, it, was, it was just a great start. Um, as I said before, I'm in the fire brigade. I've been in the fire brigade for 20 years, and we've used thermal um, devices in the fire brigade for search and rescue and looking for hot spots in houses after we've put a house fire out and, things like that so that technology 
is something that I've been aware of, and it wasn't until I saw that coming out on the more of the civilian market in hunting application that I thought, well, wow, um, if it's as effective as what it is for what we do at work, well, then it might be something worthwhile looking into. So how long have you been a firefighter, mate? Uh, just on 20 years now. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, you oh, drive well. into town, go firefight. Is it what you said, 24-hour shifts to me recently? 24-hour shifts, yeah. So I'm actually back on shift this Friday. So I'm lucky enough that I managed to work my way out to a local station. So I'm only 15-minute drive to work. And so so it's, a, it's a standard fire station. Sorry? You're always fit and strong, ready to go. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm getting a bit <laughs> old and broken now. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. I feel the same way, so don't stress. Uh, to any of the, the listeners and watchers, if you've got any questions, uh, just, just type them in the comments and I'll um, I'll read them out to, to Rod and, and he can answer them. So, um, yeah, um, be sensible with your questions. We've had a few silly ones last time, so, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so so you're going out a couple of nights a week. Um what, what kind of setup are you running now? What's what are you just say for a, a weeknight, yeah, a school night? What are you what are you taking just down the road? Generally, it, it's it's target specific. So um, I was out walking around a veggie farm two nights ago with a um, an air rifle uh, with thermal on top. Um, fortunate enough that I've I've got a lot of thermal toys at the moment, so I've got thermal mounted on the roof as a remote control device as well as um, a thermal handheld, uh, a few other bits and pieces. So the the FX impact that I've, I've been waiting for for a long time now, uh, they've been pretty hard to get. I've used a mates for a while and managed to get one. It's just a safer thing on the peri-urban properties. It's effective to be able to um, humanely kill uh, the target species, generally rabbits, rats, pigeons, that sort of stuff. But... Um, safe enough that you're not going to really get any deflections or pass-throughs, uh, which is obviously really important. But it can vary. Um, you know, I've got everything from wild dogs to foxes to rabbits to deer to rats, um, all locally. And, you know, I'll just take out whatever's required to, to get the job done generally. Quite often I might take two or three rifles with me. Um, okay. Lucky enough that a lot of the thermal is transferable between the rifles. They have multiple zero profiles in them. So with the high-quality mounts these days, you can pretty much take it off one rifle, put on another, change the profile, and away you go. So f for myself, I've just bought a, uh, oh, I can never say it properly, Himicron or whatever they call it. Um, Himicron, Himicron, we'll say it. And, um, Hick, yeah. Hick micro. Himicro, there you go. <laughs> so... <laughs> I can never say it. I apologise. Um, I myself, I've, I'm going to put that on a HMR 17 and a 308. Um, is an easy process because it's, I'm all new to this, mate. Um, you know, it's all new to me. It's all different. Um, yeah, like, is it easy process to sight your gun in? You know, go mate, the... it, it is fairly straightforward. So the HIC micro devices. Um, I've been working with the. Oh, shout out to Huntsman Firearms. So they're the, the main or one of the main suppliers of HIG Micro in Australia. They're based in New Zealand. And I've been doing some R&D with them of late with regards to the whole line of HIG Micro products. Now, they've got an absolutely amazing image, which you've probably already seen firsthand. 
But um, the zeroing process on them is probably a little bit finicky, finicky than some of the other products out there or some of the other brands. And I've been working with them to try and make that a little bit more seamless. So that will evolve with firmware updates. You know, they've, they've just released a firmware update for their full product range. And it makes it a little bit easier and more precise to be able to zero your, your thermal scope. The only thing they're sort of lacking at the moment on a couple of their mainstream models is multiple profiles. So at the moment, um, for you to have it on multiple rifles, you've pretty much got to choose a reticle and set it, that particular reticle up for a rifle. Uh, so yeah. zero that in. And then if you want to take it off and put it on another rifle, you can't use that reticle because it's already set up for the, the previous mm -hmm. presets. And that is something that they've, they've got a new model coming out, a new tube scope called the Stella. Um, they've addressed that issue with that. So there'll be multiple profiles, A to E, and you'll be able to pretty much transition between rifles quite easily. Uh, that is going to be implemented shortly on the HIC Micro. So to, to answer your question in a nutshell, is it really hard to sight them in? No, um, providing you've got a good thermal target or some sort of target you can actually see with your thermal, whether it be something that's colder than, you know, the, your target board or something that's hotter than your target board. I find it's pretty easy just to use foil tape um, on a, a piece of core flue and just angle that back. And what it actually does, it, it reflects the, the atmosphere. So it's actually angled back towards you. It's sort of like looking at a mirror and um, reflecting the atmosphere. The atmosphere will actually show up colder than your target. And it gives a nice defined outline if you cut it in, say, a, you know, a half an inch square, something like that at 50 metres. I do most of my sighting at 50 metres. I find that's quite legible and um, gets me bang on out to about 200 with my high-powered centerfire rifles. And the mounts are pretty re pretty reliable with regards to return to zero. So I think yeah. a, a really good thing would be to get a torque wrench, find out your torque settings, and just make sure whenever you put those um, thermoscopes onto a, a Picatinny rail that you torque them up to the same settings each time, and that'll yeah. give you a little bit more consistency. But, um, yeah, I do the exact same thing. So I'm running the Panther on a 17 HMR. Um, I love it because of the rangefinder on it. And, you know, knowing your distances with your 17 HMR is pretty imperative. The bullet drop out past about 130, and they're a very capable round, as yeah. you know. And, you know, then I'll put it on the 223 or the 308. I use the 308 for all my deer and pig work generally. So yeah. fairly easy to transition between two, and, and it would be a lot more... It'd be a seamless process once they sort of sort out the, the multiple profiles on the firmware. But that is just a firmware upgrade. Just hopefully they do it soon. Yeah. I've got a question here from your go-to guy. Uh, so the go-to guy is actually sometimes my cameraman. Um, to, how often uh, does the thermal equipment break down or do you need some kind of recali recalibration? Okay. Um, basically answered the calibration stuff anyway. Yeah, well, recalibration, it's, it's funny that he's come up with that word. So recalibration is, is quite often what most thermal guys will call a NUC, um, which is a, a NUC, non-uniform calibration. Um, what actually happens with when you recalibrate a thermal scope is it's obviously drawing in a lot of information, and that's how it, it determines its heat signatures and its variances of temperatures. And by doing that, especially with the new faster lenses, the F1 lenses that they're coming out with now, um, the picture can get quite grainy and you actually push a button generally to, or have it set to auto and it will actually, 
what thermal scopes do with regards to reliability and breaking down. Pretty much with any digital or electronic device, you're going to have, doesn't matter what the brand, you know, you can go and buy a brand new Ferrari and it can be a lemon. It's, it's the same with, with thermal gear. Um, yeah. I've had, you know, high quality, very expensive units out of the box that have had an issue. But fortunately, um, something that I promote sort of more than anything else is that buy your gear off a reputable dealer. Don't necessarily go for something at $50 cheaper on the internet or something like that. You know, everyone wants to save money. But if you're spending that kind of money on a device, you want to get it from someone who's going to have a really good customer service background and a really good warranty, um, which I suppose is a good opportunity for me to give a bit of a plug to Ben at Hunt the Night. Um, I've recently taken up a, a sponsorship thing with Ben. Um, I'm doing some R&D with him. And the reason that we sort of have started co- collaborating is because Ben sells all the products. Um, I try and be as impartial as I can. I don't want to be pigeonholed to people to think that I'm only giving information on a on a brand because I'm affiliated with them. The benefit of working with Ben is that he sells them all, so I can pretty much, you know, have sort of open slather on my opinion and, and keeping my integrity and honesty. But um, one of the things that I really like about Ben is that he pretty much has one of the best warranty systems, you know, that are available at the moment. We all know that if we spend five, six, seven thousand dollars on a rifle scope and we, we start using it, especially if it's done professionally um, and you're relying on it for work, the last thing you want to do is have a problem with it and be without it. And what he's actually offered down there is that you can actually send the product back to him if, it's a, if there's any type of fault and he will get you a product, um, a, a loan device to be able to keep you going while he's addressing the issue. And if there's a product oh, okay. problem good. that they can't fix, He'll actually replace the product. So, you know, not being without it is, is pretty important as far as I'm concerned when you yeah. spend that kind of coin. It's, it's, um, it's definitely a, uh, it's a lot of money. And uh, personally for myself, it, you know, it's an investment, um, you know, for filming, um, you know, because I, I do a lot with dogs. Um, I'm slowly yep. moving out of dogs and now I'm tr- transitioning into uh, rifle, um, you know, since guiding and I've now, transitions into rifles and slowly moving into thermals and that's why i yeah especially uh you and nathan stewart who's just commented um you, know, you boys use the thermal all the time and i basically i go to you guys to watch and learn um especially your shot your clear shots i i you know nathan talks about it at some times and you know you've talked about it a little bit as well and it's just like it's it's really interesting because like so for me um I'm the kind of person who'll get it out of the packet and just chuck it straight on and have a go where <laughs> that's, that's something you yeah. can't do. So, um, well, you can to a certain extent, you know, they're, they're fairly straightforward. Um, pretty much you turn them on and they give you an image. It's just a yeah. matter of getting used to the buttons. You know, what, yeah. what a lot of people don't realize is that you know, the benefit of thermal is using it in the dark um, and not having lights on. The last thing you want to do is have to put your head torch on and, fumble around to find the right button, you know, just as soon as you get it, whether it's a scope or a, a handheld, sit on your veranda and play with it. And within a couple of hours of use, you're going to be able to find those buttons and go through the menu. You know, you, you really can't push anything that's going to bugger them up mm-hmm. and um, learn learn to use it. And it's all fairly straightforward because we're doing it in the dark. And, and that's yeah. the key benefit of it is being stealthy. <laughs> I, um, I bought mine, you're talking about, um, you know, good, good dealers and, 
Um, I see your see your guy on the on Facebook all the time. Was it ready to uh, hunt the night? Is it? What they called? What's yeah? Ben? Hunt, hunt the night. This down hunt in Victoria. The, yeah. So uh, I, I use Jesse Jesse Far from from Bristol up this this yep. time. Um, just because it was, I I'd actually spoke to Jesse about it, and he um, he led me in the right direction. Um, yep. But I've also looked at hunt the night as well. And yeah, um, no, Jesse's a good well, fella. I was only talking to him the other week, actually. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he knew his stuff. Um, I just said, mate, I, lead me in the right direction here. Please help me. I've got no idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to be in Rockhampton um, that, uh, what was it, the Friday night, and I bought it on the Wednesday. It, it landed in on Thursday. It was just I couldn't couldn't get over. It was there overnight. So um, we, we played around with it that night. Anyway, I stupidly put my hand in a um, – a bandsaw, so they wrecked that they wrecked that weekend. But um, I bet it did. About a bit of fun. Nathan Stewart, um, edge of the outback, has, has messaged or comments and said, "Have fun, boys. We'll listen to you when I can." Um, Rod, your eyebrow, what's happened, mate? You escaped ah, yourself. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was going to come up. He's supposed <laughs> to be at work. He's supposed to be at work. What a bludger. Anyhow, um, He's an engineer, yeah, I started. Oh, well, yeah, true. He spends more time on the phone than he does doing anything else. I know that. But um, Mr. Stewart, yes, the eyebrow has healed fine. Thank you for your concern. I, um, it was a trip a few months back, and we were out chasing pigs out west, running the 308, and there were quite a few foxes around. Um, obviously not our main target, so pigs take precedence. Um, and... The boys decided to stop. I sort of side-saddled the, the front seat and had a shitty angle to shoot out of the vehicle. Um, they said, come on, whack the fox, whack the fox. So I didn't shoot cross-handed, but I pretty much had my head leaning over the side of the, the rifle. And um, I, usually, I suppose, fortunately, I get to shoot suppressed and it does reduce the recoil and the impact. And, and you forget sometimes you, you run a high-powered calibre. And, yeah, I, I copped a scope between the eye, eyebrows. And about an hour later, um, another fox, another quick shot, and I did the exact same thing. So oh, it gave the boys a very, very good laugh. Um, and I didn't hide it. Um, they didn't hear it. They didn't see it. But um, I put the headlight on and said, have a go at these fellas. And, yeah, <laughs> so let's just say I copped a lot of shit for a couple of hours. <laughs> Until I did a video and put it in the last one. <laughs> well, I, I, I've done it a, quite a fair few times. I'm actually pretty bad for it. I'm, I reckon I'm blind as a bat, but um, that's why I keep scoping myself. But um, I'm going to go through this little uh, clip here. We've and just talk us through, if I can put it up, just try and find it. So where are we here? So this is your recent video, I believe. Yep. And... Um, just tell us a little bit what happens there, because um, that looks like some a good set of antlers. That that's obviously this year's rut. That was this year's rut. Um, I was lucky enough to get away with Nathan. Um, Nathan got some. He's got some pretty good access out west, and yeah, we planned it for probably eight months. We're hoping to see a few fellows um, and maybe a, the odd red, but um, no reds, no croaking at the time, and it was a bit of a weird rut. There was um, 
a bit of action some days and it was, it was very quiet other mornings and afternoons, but uh, we got the pleasure of walking in on quite a few animals and we saw a lot. It was, um, I think we had three, three or four full days and burnt the candle at both ends out chasing the, the deer of a early morning and late afternoon and then chasing pigs of a night. So there wasn't much sleep. It was, <laughs> was a lot of sleep to catch up on when we got home, that's for sure. Yeah. I've got another one here for you. Uh, to try and work out how to do this. There we go. Um, now, there's there's you as a firefighter. <laughs> yeah. Are we there, right? There's you as a firefighter, 20 years plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've got one here. Look at, like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a pig lover, but holy crap, yeah. that's a dog. Mate, that was, um, that was quite a unique little story, that one. So, um, that was actually shot 15 minutes from home. There was, um, there's, there's one sort of parcel of land that's about 600 acres and we've, I'd been going there for quite some time and it's actually a buyer banking property. So they don't run any livestock on the place. It's five or 600 acres that they've returned back to sort of native vegetation and doing feral animal control and weed management and all that sort of stuff is, is the basis of the, the whole background. They get carbon credits and stuff like that from the government. So I have quite a few of those that I, I do with my professional contract shooting. And it was one of my favourite properties. Holds a lot of deer, but uh, very overgrown uh, because obviously they're not allowed to run livestock. It was great in a drought for me shooting, but um, with all this rain we've had, the vegetation's pretty high. And it took me about two years before I saw my first pig there. And I ended up shooting with thermal, obviously, um, probably about 15 pigs. And it was quite sporadic. You'd get one here and one there and... You know, there was never any sign, no rooting, um, no wallows, nothing like that. They seemed to just pick the tops off and, and live in the neighbouring property. And he had one particular night we're in. I hadn't seen a pig there for probably two and a half years and we were just in chasing foxes. So I had the 223 and had a heat source behind a dam. It was probably about an 800 metre walk in and we were, had the fingers crossed that it was a pig, uh, but we had no idea it was a pig of that size. So sort of a kidney-shaped dam, so I ended up having to wade in to the dam and set the tripod up in thigh-deep water to be able to get an angle on him. And he was having a little little pick in the probably about a foot deep of water and, uh, yeah, two, two, three behind the ear and dropped him on the spot. And it wasn't until we got up there and tried to drag him out of the water that we realised he was so big. So we went to the effort of hoisting him up and weighing him and the good uh-huh. old Parramatta handled it well. Yeah. What um? What, do you know what he was? One seventeen. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, he's um very very thick pig. Um, he wasn't all that long, but you can just tell by the shape of him. Sort yeah. of typical mountain pig. That yeah. And um, I don't think I want to catch up with him while I was walking around in the dark uh, <laughs> and get a nasty surprise. That's for sure. Yeah, he's. I'm just he's glad I had the two two three and not the seventeen. Yeah, well, I've I've had an incident with the seventeen with a pig, and um, yeah, it's where you, it's where they they say it's where you shoot them, but I can vouch it's not exactly when they get that big. Um, no, well, the, shot placement, you know, is, is pretty critical, as as you know. Um, mm-hmm. Like I've shot some some bloody big big pigs with a two two three, but you know, I've also shot some smaller pigs with a three oh eight, and you know, if you don't get them in the right spot. Um, 
you know, I've had a couple of you know, good pigs that have been in wallows and they get that real thick muddy pad on their, their chest plate and um, get them in the point of the shoulder and that knocks them out and you think, okay, move on to the next one. And three, four minutes later, you see the pig get up and run off. Get up and run away. But, um, yeah. you, start, you start to cry after that. So. Yeah, <laughs> you're not wrong. So, so going back, I'm just trying to, yeah, that's a beautiful stag. Um, can you see that? Mate, right very there, unique, mate? that one. Yeah, very dark. It's, yeah. It's that, I, like I said previously, um, I'm not a huge, you know, I'm still getting into deer. Um, I love the yeah. animals. Tastes great and um, just beautiful uh, creature. But they normally that dark? Um, we get quite a few of them locally. And obviously that wasn't local to me. But um, there were quite a few of that colour up there, that, that nice chocolate colour. Um, it's, it's becoming you know, a lot more prominent down in, in my region. Um, the standard-looking, typical fallow deer are the, the sort of gingery fawn ones with the, the white spots on them. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure they call them menals, which is a, a standard coloration. But we don't get many white ones. Um, get a few pale ones down here. But um, quite a lot of chocolate ones. It's uh, pretty prominent in the bloodline uh, around this area for sure. So and that's his antlers or that's a, a different one? Uh, that was that was the second one. Um, yeah. yeah, so that was that was his antlers. He's um, very pretty boy, lots of points, and um, yeah. fairly even. Like he's got a bit of a cleft on that that uh, left one that you can see. But um, it was it was nice to shoot some deer up there because the genetics are just a lot better than down here. Down here, all the all the antlers are either malformed or got a really big cleft on them. So to get something with reasonably even palms was, yeah, I was pretty chuffed. Yeah, that's um. Oh, have you got that on your wall? Um, it has been boiled out in European mount. Um, I'm just waiting for permission to um, take over a wall in the house. I don't know if I'm ever going to get that. But... <laughs> so I've just, just got them in the shed at the moment. That's all right. Probably make the shed, make the man shed. That's all you need to worry about. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, the old, my old boy, he had his shed and, and um, yeah, there's no, no hunting pictures in, inside the house, but the... <laughs> The shed was the man cave. It had uh, John Wayne everywhere and fishing and uh, hunting pictures everywhere. It's a, it's a pretty good little wall there. But, it's pretty um, cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's nice. To, um, it's definitely nice to have, um, you know, you walk into someone's, you know, I, for example, I went up to Rocky to hunt with a mate, um, Dan, and he's, uh, he's got a, a wall of, um, you know, wall of beauty and it's all the pigs yeah. he's caught and, um, you know, fish and family moments where they've gone camping and, yeah, and got some big mud crabs, and it's it's um it's definitely good to have a, a memory wall, I believe. Um, oh, I, I totally agree, totally yeah. agree, mate. It's just finding the room and the time. That's that's probably the hardest thing. Yeah, I think no, we're all definitely. pretty much time poor these days. <clears throat> yes, yeah. So you you're shooting foxes majority around town. Uh, you're a bit of a yep. cook too, mate. I love my cooking. Um, that's um I do a lot of cooking at the fire station too. But um, they love their venison at work. Um, <laughs> I'm, to be honest with you, for someone who shoots a fair few deer, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of eating venison because um, I don't like rare meat. So I like my, my meat sort of medium well. But, um, and that sort of buggers up a lot of the venison recipes. Um, makes it pretty tough. But um, the old backstrap beaten out to uh, make some snitties is, um, yeah. yeah, one of our favourites. So that's, a, that's a good one. Very oh, good. I, I... Like Especially with the too. price of meat these days, mate. 
the old um the old venison goes a long way. It's, it's lovely to do the old paddock to plate stuff. Yeah, no, I've um I've had a, a butcher on here before, and um, actually from the paddock to plate uh, Facebook group, Scotty Fry, and he's um, yeah. he's real big into the the paddock to plate, and uh, it. I, I haven't shot anything for a while due to the rain in my finger and um, one thing after another. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm due for some outdoor meat. I'm kind of getting sick of buying uh, pork and I'm sick of, sick of buying um, red meat. It's just costing way too much. Oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, oh. almost as expensive as fuel. Well, I, I just filled up my car and it was only half, half full and it was um, $2.15 a litre. Mm-hmm. It was just... Oh. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll leave that one alone. So, um, yeah. so you, you do shoot for meat, mate, it's, or is it just you shoot for meat um, as well? To, to be honest with you, not very often. Um, I've yep. got I've got a few mates that are, are huge into the um, the paddock to plate, the huge into venison especially, and they make us a lot of jerky, a lot of sausages, stuff like that. So quite often, you know, I'll have one of my shooting buddies go, you know, the, the freezer's getting empty. We go out and we'll... We'll definitely go out and specifically target some deer for the for the freezer, but the majority of my stuff is um, contract work, and most of the properties don't want to pay you for sitting there cutting up meat. Um, they want to pay you for putting animals on the ground. So it's a matter of um, you know fulfilling their wishes, and you know it's hard to to shoot deer and leave them in the paddock sometimes. But um, you know they're a a bit of a or becoming a big problem locally. Um, the numbers have just, you know, I suppose we just got the perfect environment for them, perfect conditions. There's no natural predators, and the, the numbers are just going through the roof. There's, you know, a lot of probably properties are having problems with their stock um, and their feed levels and damage defences. Uh, so, pretty much, if that's what I'm getting paid to do, that's what I do. Yeah, it'd be nice. No, it'd be nice if there were less restrictions with regards to being able to do something with the meat. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to harvest all the meat if possible. And yeah. I think it is a young man's game, like these roo shooters and the guys that are shooting for the chiller. Um, I don't know if I could, you know, throw twenty bloody animals around a night and then get yeah. them to the chiller. But the drama is, there's no chiller local, so um, there's strict guidelines. And you know, like I said, it'd be great to utilise the meat. Uh, wherever we can, but you know, how much how much meat can you take home? Exactly. Yeah. Now they, especially you know, I've just done my R license, and they did mention you know you can't take, um, you know, you can take meat for yourself, but you can't go and give it to someone else. Um, you know, or sell it. They say. Um, so you, no, you can't sell it. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and that, that, that's yeah. fair enough. But you know, like I. A lot of the stuff I get, I you know, I give to my housemate. Uh, he he, anything he can get, he'll he'll eat. Um, you know, I've got a couple of mates who just make jerky out of the venison. Um, it's very, you know, it's very frustrating because, well, I've you know, I've just done my my R license, so I'm going to start heading into New South, New South Wales as much as I can and doing mm. as um, much hunting as possible. Yeah, and I, I can't eat a 60, 70, 80 kilo deer all by myself. You know, and you know what happens if you bring it back the, you know, across the board? We're not in one sitting anyway. No, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a good crack for a leg, but, um, yeah, I'm a big boy. So, yeah, it's um, it's very frustrating in that way because, if you, you know, you do get caught. You're going to get, you know, one, lose your, your R licence, and two, um, yeah, you're going to get a fine. It's it's 
you know, there should be ways we can kind of, you know, process it and get rid of it. And, um, you know, well, that's, that's get... exactly right. Yeah, I think they've got some different regulations down in Victoria now. Um, the biggest problem with, you know, any dead animal that you harvest uh, or that you want to harvest is you, you can't take it to an abattoir. Um, mm-hmm. Abattoir have got to be in control of, um, like, you know, I can take my, my sheep that I'm, I breed at home down to the local abattoir, but they kill them on site. And it's all part of their protocol and their um, safe method statement and all that sort of stuff of, of how they go about it. You can't take a dead animal in there. Um, yeah. That's why it's got to go to the chiller and be inspected and all that sort of stuff. But I believe in Victoria, you can now shoot an animal and take it to your, your butcher and your butcher can then hang it and, and dress it and do you know pack it up and then oh, you can cool. go and pick it up and, and do whatever you like with it. As far as I know, and... You know, it'd be great if those sort of regulations were available here. I don't have a cool room at home. Um, obviously, I can handle you know one or two animals in winter, um, hang them in a tree or something like that, but um, for a few days. But I don't have the fridge or freezer space. And you know, being able to utilise that, it'd be great. And you know, I just, it's just a shame. You know, it yeah. really is. I know they're they're becoming a real real problem and a pest, and the the numbers yeah. are, are ridiculous, but. Um, yeah, I hate leaving them on the ground. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm the same. We um, we had a, a, blo- a block not too far from Brizzy where the old boy was just there to shoot numbers, and <clears throat> it would it would break my heart because he, the farmer said you need to get rid of them. You'd see you know sixty in a, in a morning, a just ridiculous mm-hmm. amount of deer getting around, and um, yeah, he was there just to shoot numbers, and he'd take as much meat as he possibly could. As fast as he could, because you know you got that time frame before it gets a bit hot in Queensland. Yeah. Um, yep. But yeah, it's it's just it's one of those things. It's just uh, I I wish we could do better with it. Um, but now with with labour in, I don't think that's gonna um that's gonna happen. But mate, I don't I don't know where we're gonna go now with all that. I don't know how yeah. that's gonna affect us. You know, I try and <laughs> I probably stick my head in the sand a little bit too much when it comes to that. It's definitely yeah, I, not the I way I, I voted, but um. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's already hard enough in New South Wales with our, our shooters' guidelines and, and yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, scary times ahead. Yeah. No, I, I stay out of that stuff, um, especially for, you know, like with BSB on with social media and stuff. I just, I just stay well away from it if I, if I can. <laughs> um, I know Jesse Farr, um, yeah, he's a bit more in the game, so I let him speak for us. Um and a yep. few others, so um, you know, but that's each to their own. So, mate, how how did you go about starting uh, RJM Hunting Australia? So, you know, what what thought? Well, yeah, you, you're shooting, um, you know, you, you're making a bit of a, a dollar out of it. What um what started with the filming and the and the extras? Well, to be honest with you, I started it all on on social media with with Facebook. So I spent pretty much a year on YouTube researching thermal gear because I hadn't seen any. I didn't know anyone who had it. I didn't have a huge circle of friends in the hunting sort of game and definitely no one who had thermal. So it was it was terrifying and it cost me $9,000 for the first unit I bought. And you know, to be able to consider spending that kind of money on something that, you know, there was stuff all around and you couldn't actually see one in real life was, was terrifying. But I just knew that if it was even half of what it was supposed to be that it would be a huge advantage and um i bit the bullet um got it delivered went out and, and spent pretty much 12 months using it 
and realised then just how much of a benefit it was going to be in the industry, and especially if it was like mobile phones, I expected the technology to get better than them to become a little bit cheaper, a bit more readily available, more choice. And I, I thought knowledge was key. So I just wanted to learn the device and its capabilities um, of being able to get ferals on the ground um, to get higher high yield rates and have less impact on, you know, infrastructure and, and neighbours and especially shooting smaller smaller properties. Um, and also the benefits of it with regards to, you know, not being detected, um, not upsetting the livestock, not having to, to shine lights around and stuff like that. But um, also its limitations, um, you know, what you could do with it and, and what was going to be difficult. So once I learned as much as I thought I needed to know, um, I wanted to share that. So anyone else that was in the position that I was in, whether it was looking at getting into it and, and committing to that sort of money, like, you know, mate, I was a baggy ass fireman. We were on one wage. My wife was a stay-at-home mum. And, you know, I had to get into debt to get it. And, you know, did I regret it? A couple of times, you know, when we had <laughs> bills come in and stuff like that, it'd be like, oh, geez, no, maybe I should sell it. But it was just that effective. And being able to share that, on social media, um, I got the, the kids to show me how to use Facebook and I set up a, I can't remember if it was, a, I think it was a page first or it might have been a group and started doing video stuff back then. It didn't have internal recording, so you had to have a, an external DVR and all that sort of stuff. Um, but trying to produce fairly good quality footage um, and answer questions. So that sort of slowly progressed. Um, a lot more people started to become involved. A few more products started to come out. And, yeah, I just sort of got my hands on whatever I could. And I've, I've always tried to be, you know, fairly direct and fairly honest. Um, it's got me in a bit of trouble with a couple of manufacturers in the past, being probably a bit too honest. But I think if you're spending that kind of coin, you know, you want something that's going to work, that's going to be reliable, and you want good customer support. So. Yeah. That's sort of how I originally got into it. And, you know, I started to think that I had some pretty good access. I was quite capable of, of making a, a reasonable um, video clip. You know, I liked to, to have the, the gear focused and get the best I could out of it. You know, an, an intro of the animal coming in, not just like anyone can pull the trigger. Um, you know, a little bit of a story about it and, and doing it well. And also explaining to people the limitations that, you know, it, there are safety concerns when it comes to thermal. It's, it's not like you cannot always identify um, the animals yeah. that you're looking at. And that is, it, it is just so important. I've always been scared that, you know, sooner or later someone's going to get shot because someone's not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, or, you know, people not identifying their target properly. And, you know, that's, that's just key to, it's key to anything with regards to firearms, but um, even more so with regards to thermal. Now that there's cheaper thermal coming on the market, which is much more limited with its detection ability and distances and its, its image clarity, it's even you know, more important now that, that people make sure that, you know, yeah, I think that's a fox. You know, it's not the neighbour's dog or, I, you know, or it's not the cat. Um, and you, you just, yeah, target IDs, everything. So... Long story short, I started on social media, um, spent thousands of hours um, doing stuff, answering questions, um, monitoring groups, all, all that sort of stuff, and thought it'd be so nice to get some something back for it. Um, 
always putting my hand in my pocket and spending the time and, and the cost of everything. Same with the shooting. You know, I was out three or four nights a week. So the missus said, look, you can't keep doing this for free. So I went and got my pro shooter's permit and uh, then got my suppressor permit. And, you know, look, gradually. So, you know, that was just part of the transition of, of, of trying to network, um, trying to grow, I suppose, the brand of myself a little bit more, get a little bit more exposure and trying to move into YouTube. I had a, a double at YouTube probably about six years ago and I, I think I got three views of the video and I put the same video on Facebook and I think it got like 45,000. Since then, the algorithms have changed on Facebook. Um and, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to get big views on Facebook. But, yeah. um, you know, I've persisted more with a lot of encouragement for guys like, from guys like Nathan Stewart at Edge of the Outback. Um, his, his channel skyrocketed through COVID. Um, got a few tips from him. Um, changed my video style and content a little bit more and made it a little bit more storylined. And just trying to get really good footage in there. So there's just so much time, as you would know, that goes into editing a video. Yeah. Um, and then, then trying to fight with YouTube to get it approved and monetized and, and jump through all the hoops. But, you know, I really enjoy making them. Um, and I hear, hear from people all over the world. And it's pretty cool to be able to you know, share what you do with, with people that, you know, have got that appreciation for it. Well, I, I, I truly appreciate it because, um, you know, and I've had a couple of mates. We were talking about you were actually in a, a recent hunting trip and, you know, um, you you make a good story, you know. You you get there was one there with the, your um, first one was we all looked at the suppressor and went wow how to get that. Um, <laughs> that's what me and my old boy were talking about <clears throat> recently. We're going oh how to get the suppressor. So you just you just answered that question. Um, so that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, you, you make a very good story. You, you did one there with the deer hunting. Uh, no, sorry, the deer hunting, the goat hunting with the thermal, ardently thermal on the during the day when you're walking up the mm -hmm. hill and. Um, you actually, you, you didn't realize, but you taught me a little bit about camera stuff. You left the tripod and you, um, <clears throat> so when I go out by myself, oh, one, yeah, yeah, yeah it, just, it was just really cool. Cause you had the drone in the air, you had a lot going on. You had a mob of, yeah. you're looking for the mob of goats. And I thought, gee, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm going to put that in the, the memory bank and I'll, um, I'll do that later on. So yeah, um, you definitely, you know, you've inspired me with the thermal and, um, getting out there a, a lot more too, and um, yeah, I really want to shoot a fox. I haven't shot one in years. Um, oh, really? So I, I I just we've never. It's always been like most. If you look at most of my footage, it's all just um, yeah, hunting with dogs in Cape York, and um, mm. you know, so I'm now moving to Brisbane and to be close. I'd to like to say I feel sorry for you, but I don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, don't don't feel sorry. It's um. You know, it is what it is. I had my I had my six months guiding, and I've killed more animals, and I've seen more animals <clears throat> than I could possibly ever imagine. And it was it was great yep. doing it. Um, but yeah, I, I for me, I you know, I, I love watching your channel. Um, the goat Thanks, one man. for me, was especially you know, looking at how pretty your. Uh, I'm going to show people where where is it. Um, Pretty your the area you go to is just stunning. Um, now look at that. That's just... mate. I've, yeah, mate. That's that's probably one of my favourite properties to go to. So that's down south, southern New South Wales, and that's eight thousand acres of property like that. And um, it's um, 
I feel extremely fortunate. The the guys that run the place are, are the most friendly people you'll ever meet. Um, last year, like I go down there at lambing time, um, and I actually saw a comment up on one of the social media pages this morning saying, "Oh, how come you're allowed into the lambing paddocks? You know, we're never allowed in there." That was, you know, in response to someone else's post, and it's the same down on this property. Um, they, I think they had about $2 million worth of lambs hit the ground last year. Um, and everything from, there's a couple of different breeds and um, some of them are obviously having singles, others triples, others um, twins. And the biggest problem for them, they've, they've got four um, guys that have grown up in that area, um, some of which are about my age. Um, they do a lot of shooting um, they're just so professional at what they do on the property and they're, they're always targeting foxes. They bait, they, they fumigate and they shoot. They've got a rifle with them in the vehicle on property all the time. And for me to get an invite down there, um, it was a trial the first time, obviously, but we got a really good result and now it's a, it's a yearly ritual. And to be able to go into those paddocks, the biggest thing with them is suppressed, um, no lights, um, if you get within a certain distance of a, a mob of ewes, um, you might have a, a pesky fox that they might not be able to get and it might go in. And especially the foxes that seem to be a bit injured or got a bit of mange, um, for some reason they seem to target the lambs a lot more than the, the healthier foxes, which is I found quite ironic. But um, And they'll, they'll kill more of them. Um, so what actually happens is, you know, say a fox knocks off 20 lambs in a night, worst case scenario, you could actually cause more damage than that going in to try and get a fox that you see. So if you go in and you put the mob up um, and they've got twins, especially they have, um, as you can see from the photo, they have a lot of lot of feed down there. They take care of their sheep really, really well and they have a lot of crop area um, to grow those sheep out and the feed might be 10 inches long. If a ewe walks 20 metres and one of the lambs goes with it and the other one's sort of stuck in the, in, the, in the feed and a little bit away from mum, quite often that, that mum will leave that, that lamb and they'll become mismothered. So you could, you could literally kill 30, 40, 50 lambs by spooking a mob of sheep. Um, so you, you, you've got to walk that fine line of, of being able to get in close enough to take a shot and, and kill that fox that's causing all the grief without actually um, causing any damage yourself. And um, I, I feel pretty privileged that I'm trusted <laughs> enough to go down there. Um, I'm very selective of who I take. Like I've got some, some, you know, quite a few acquaintances and and mates that you know love to go shooting with me. But um, it's a, a very specialised sort of situation down there. And there's only you know a couple of guys that that I take down with me. And you've just got to be on your game. We might do 50, 60 k's a night on property for you know half a dozen foxes, which is really tough going compared to you know I can maybe get that in half an hour around home. But um, very rewarding, and um, and they're they're super appreciative, and and yeah, and I get to go down, and there's nothing better than than seeing that sort of scenery in the daytime, and that's what makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, there's a um, a comment here, a couple of comments. I'll sh- I'll read out to you. Um, Casey Robertson says that photo belongs on the, the calendar or, or canvas, Rod. Um, yeah, that, thanks. I reckon it does. It's a, it's a beautiful photo. I'll go back to it if I can find it. I'm trying to get it the right time. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, that one there, mate. It's, it, it is. It, it's absolutely stunning, and it and it's the most immaculate property. Every paddock is named. There's laneways um, through the entire place. It's um, like it's 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 literally just a, a credit to the the people that are running the show down there, and it just shows you, you know, what hard work can achieve. And and they've they've got that that eight thousand acres, you know, making good money, and and you know they're reaping the rewards for all the effort that they they've put in. It's um, yeah. Yeah, amazing. And, uh, I've got another comment here from uh, Aussie uh, Auntie Nettie. Uh, appreciate the info, uh, guys, you're putting out there. And she uh, talking about thermal. She's uh, commented a few here, uh, interested in thermal stress. So, yeah, uh, Aussie Auntie Nettie is very, um, is, is obviously saying a big thank you to you um, for your know, No, no problems whatsoever. You're putting out there. Um, yeah. Mate, we might wrap it up. We're about to hit an hour. So, uh, well. Time yeah, flies. It, it is. It, it definitely does when you're having fun. Um, I'd love to get you back on, and uh, you know we could talk, talk more. Um, you know, this is it's it's been great, and obviously it's it's, it's flowing really quickly. So um, next time I'll um, I'll probably ask you a bit more thermal questions and try and get mate. A bit happy more... happy to delve into it. There's there's you know so much out there at the moment, and it can be pretty confusing to a, a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I'm I plan to do a little bit of podcast work with um, Ben from Hunt the Night as well and uh, I've done a little bit in the past but it's it's definitely something that you know would be great on a platform like this that you know I appreciate you having me on and it's great to be able to see you know questions get popped up and and to be able to answer those um, yeah. so yeah happy to do something again in the future it'd be um, great I'll try and sort out a um, you know, questionnaire you know get people to put some questions in and um, yeah you know even Ben from Hunt the Night get him on with you I can I can have up to 10 people on this thing so um cool. but yeah get everyone on there and um you know we could talk about thermals and um you know especially wish you how you guys are going it's, it's it's amazing um yeah so i really appreciate you coming on thank you very much and um yeah no, everyone, pleasure, mate. if you haven't followed uh rod head over to rjm hunting australia on uh you on all it's everything social media uh instagram as well mate that's um yeah, I don't know if I've changed it to RJM on Instagram, but um, I'm struggling to get my head around Instagram for an old fella, mate. Um, oh, I'm trying trying to focus on the on the YouTube more than anything now. Um, it's nice to get a couple of couple of dollars back for what you do, but yeah, um, yeah it's just a matter of trying to pump out the quality rather than the frequency. Yeah, no, totally. So everyone, head over, especially Facebook and you uh, and YouTube, head over to, uh, to Roger's channel and uh, make sure you give a like, a subscribe, and uh, even share. Um, yeah, and that always helps the algorithm and uh, getting onto your mates and, and heading over this. So uh, I've got a few people following me that can head over and see see Rod. Um, you'll see thermal gear like yeah, thermal uh, quality picture like you wouldn't believe. It's just it's. Um, Especially the pig hunting guys, guys. If you love pig hunting, there's a, there's one clip there. There's monster boar out in the flat, and um, yeah, Rod uh, puts the old three hundred eight to work. So um, yeah, I love that clip. It's uh, and there's one there that you put out the other day. Um, I think I commented. You had a few misfire uh, through your your um, primers. Oh, dude. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I hope I never have to go through that again. That was, yeah, it was, I, I such, it was such a waste of a big, big mob of pigs. Uh, I can sense your frustration. Um, yeah, I, I felt for you there. I, I, I've, it's never happened to me. It's happened in front of me with Dad shooting when back in the day shooting ruse. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never, um, 
never seen it happen like that that much. So um, no. I felt for you that that little video. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, but a, a big thank you, mate, for coming on. And uh, I, no, my I, pleasure. Uh, it was lovely to have a chat. We'll get you on another time soon. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks.